Amen. If you have your Bibles, turn to the book of Jonah. What a great song. That is the heartbeat of what we're about around here, that uh, there is a good and loving God who came and lived a perfect life, died for our sins, rose again so that we could turn from all our sin, all our shame, everything, and follow him. And the life that God has to offer in Jesus Christ is the best life. Amen? So I, uh, I married into the state of Minnesota. And uh, is anybody else here with me on that? You did not choose Minnesota, you married in. If you marry into Minnesota, often you end up in Minnesota. And uh, we've been back in Minnesota for almost 10 years now. And yesterday, I became a Minnesotan. Um, I am a full-fledged Minnesotan. This is a picture to prove it. Uh, jumped into water for a good cause. I, I th- the, the guy looking at you, by the way, is a scuba diver. Makes you a little nervous. You, you walk through there, and you get ready to jump in the water, and you see the scuba guy, and you're like, oh, that's cool. But then the second thought is, he's here for a reason. Um, so I jumped, jumped in. I'm a Minnesotan. The only thing I will not do, I will not follow your football team. Um, other than that, guys, I'm all in. I'm all in. So it is so good to be together, isn't it? This last week, I was reminded of the importance of community in a number of different ways here at Crossview. Um, gathering to worship and naming God as something so completely other but also with us is what we do here. And we tell that story and we celebrate it in a lot of different ways. But it's just as important to gather in smaller circles and get into each other's lives. And uh, on Wednesday night, I was watching our middle schoolers do that as they were taught by some 20-somethings. Absolutely beautiful. Um, yesterday morning, a uh, group of women gathered here to around tables to try and figure out this Jesus life together. Um, met with a couple of men this week who sort of know like that, that's the thing they need. And uh, we just want to say that is such an important part of what we do. Uh, we have a new Bible study starting up on Monday nights during Lent. And it is called, um, we're going to go through a book called The Reason for God by Tim Keller. And if you're, you're sort of rechecking out this church thing, wondering about the God deal, this is a great short-term commitment group for you to be part of. Mike Brennan and I will be uh, running that and uh, deal with some of the questions and doubts and wonderings you have and see what the, uh, the whole Jesus story is all about. Let's jump into the word Jonah. Chapter 1, and we are going to hit a theme that we've hit a few times already as we've been going through this year-long series where we're looking at this big overview of the Bible. And that theme is the idea that God speaks. And we've seen it in a number of different stories, but the sense that God calls, that God speaks. And uh, I don't know about you, but when you hear a theme again and again and again and it comes at you, there should be this this stopping where we say, okay, what, what is God trying to tell us? What is God trying to say to us? So we're going to wrestle with that theme again this morning as we look at Jonah. Let me pray before we jump in the word. God, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing and accepting in your sight so that we can hear your word and your voice. pray this in your name. Amen. Jonah chapter 1, and uh, we're only supposed to do the first two chapters, but we're going to give an overview of the whole book because um, I think we need to see Jonah's whole story here to really get the heart of it. The Lord gave this message to Jonah, son of Amittai. Get up and go to the great city of Nineveh. Announce my judgment against it because I have seen how wicked its people are. Let's stop real quickly and just give you an overview of where we are in God's story. This is probably 8th century B.C. before Christ. The Assyrians, which is where this great city, this metropolitan of Nineveh is, the Assyrians were longtime enemies of Israel. 
Um, this is not a place that Jonah would want to go to. Verse 3. But Jonah got up when in the opposite... <laughs> By the way, this is chapter one. You're going to find yourself just sort of laughing, chuckling a couple times. So God says, go do this. And here's Jonah's reaction. But Jonah got up, went the opposite direction to get away from the Lord. He went down to this port of Joppa where he found a ship leaving for Tar- Tarshish. This is probably just a group, a dozen or so crewmen who have the ship. They're taking goods from one place to another. They probably have grain and olive oil and uh, wine and just the, the needs of a, a normal person in that time. He bought a ticket and he went on board, hoping to escape from the Lord by selling to Tarshish. But the Lord hurled a powerful wind over the sea, causing a violent storm that threatened to break the ship apart. Fearing their lives, the desperate sailors shouted to their gods for help and threw the cargo overboard to lighten their ships. And if you were with us last week, we talked a little bit about this idea of what or how they viewed their gods in the Old Testament. And there were mainly two ideas. When they, th- when they thought of their gods, and remember, it's not just the idol, it's what the idol represented. So when they would pray to an idol, it was the idea behind that idol and what that idol represented. And one of the ways in which they view their gods was like a genie in a bottle. So I go to this god who represents this thing so that I can get it. Wealth, success, good crops, whatever it might be. The other way in which they viewed their deities was that the gods, if something bad was happening to them, they must have done something wrong, and now the god is angry at them. And by the way, that's not good logical theology. But that's how they view their gods. So if something's happening, if a storm comes up on the ship, I must have done something wrong, or somebody on the ship must have done something wrong. Let's find out who it is so that we can appease the gods. But all this time, Jonah was sound asleep down in the hold. Um, So the captain went down after him. How can you sleep at a time like this, he shouted. Get up and pray to your gods. Maybe he will pay attention to us and spare our lives. Then the crew cast lots. And this idea of casting lots is like flipping a coin. And each person would put a personal item that they knew was theirs into some type of container. And then they would draw from it. And somehow when they drew from it, that person was going to be the one who had done wrong. So they cast lots to see which of them had defended the gods. Caused the terrible storm. When they did this, the lots identified Jonah as the culprit. Why is this awful storm come down on us, they demanded. Who are you? What is your line of work? What country are you from? And what is your nationality? Jonah answered, I am a Hebrew and I worship the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the land. It's intriguing. In the midst of this storm, he's naming that it's his fault. He also says that his God is the creator God, the one who controls all things. Verse 10. The sailors were terrified when they heard this. For, they had already, for he had already told them he was running away from the Lord. Oh, why did you do it? They groaned. And since the storm was getting worse all the time, they asked, what should we do to you to stop this storm? In other words, if we do something to you, maybe we'll appease the gods. Throw me into the sea, Jonah said, and it will become calm again. I know that this terrible storm is all my fault. Instead, the sailors rode even harder to get the ship to land. But the stormy sea was too violent for them, and they couldn't make it. They cried out to the Lord, Jonah's God, O Lord, they pleaded, don't make us die for this man's sin, and don't hold us responsible for his death, O Lord. You have sent this great storm upon him for your own good reasons. Then the sailors picked Jonah up, threw him in the raging sea. The storm stopped at once. The sailors were awestruck by the Lord's great power, and they offered a sacrifice and vowed to serve him. Now the Lord had arranged for a great fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah was inside the fish for three days and three nights. We don't know if Jonah in the well is the common telling of this story, right? We don't know exactly what this sea creature is. 
creature is, but it just represents some large animal in the sea. And now here's Jonah's reaction from inside the belly of this great fish. Then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from inside the fish. He said, I cried out to the Lord in my great trouble. He answered me. I called to you from the land of the dead, the Lord, and the Lord heard me. You threw me into the ocean depths, and I sank down to the heart of the sea. The mighty waters engulfed me. I was buried beneath your wild and stormy waves. Then I said, O Lord, you have driven me from your presence, yet I will look once more towards your holy temple. And the idea of the holy temple in the Old Testament, remember, that's where they think God dwells. In the New Testament, we see temple language that we're now the temple, that God dwells in anybody who puts their faith in Jesus Christ. But in his mind, in Jonah's mind, that's where God dwells. So yet, once more, I will look to that place, God, where you dwell, even though I've ran away from you. Verse 5, I sink beneath the waves and the waters closed over me. Seaweed wrapped itself around my head. I sank down to the very roots of the mountain. I was imprisoned in the earth whose gates locked shut forever. But you, O Lord, my God, snatched me from the jaws of death. As my life was slipping away, I remember the Lord, and my earnest prayer went out to you and your holy temple. Those who worship false gods turn their backs on all God's mercy. But I will offer sacrifices to you with songs of praise, and I will fulfill all my vows. So, in other words, I'm going to do what you said, God, for my salvation comes from the Lord alone. Then the Lord ordered the fish to spit Jonah out onto the beach. Well, most of us have heard this story, and, and, and we sort of get it. But here, it gets really interesting. So Jonah now, he committed to do what God had told him to do once he gets out of the belly of the fish. So he goes to Nineveh, preaches this, tells them what God is going to do. He essentially preaches a message. The whole city of Nineveh, 120,000 people, the text tells us that they turn towards God. Repent of what they've done. They turn towards God. And it's intriguing in verse 10. Often we put God in a little box. Like we have God figured out. God's always in control. God is, is a, look at verse 10. And I do believe God's in control. When God saw what they had done and how they had put to stop their evil ways, he changed his mind and did not carry out the destruction he had threatened. God changed his mind. Isn't that interesting? That there's something about his love and something about his compassion, something at the very heart of God that actually would allow God to change his mind. It's simply what the text says. And here's what it is. Beginning of chapter 4 says this. <laughs> this. Again, you almost have to chuckle. This change of plans greatly upset Jonah and he became very angry. And remember, here's what he's upset at. He's upset that God's not going to kill 120,000 people. So he's mad at God. Like, what in the world, God? So he complained to the Lord about it. Didn't I say before I left home that you would do this, Lord? That's why I ran away from Tarshish. I knew that you are, mer and you can, you can, like, if he's angry at God, and here's what he's saying. I knew that you're merciful and compassionate, God. Slow to get angry and filled with unfailing love. You were eager to turn back from destroying people. Just kill me now, Lord. I'd rather be dead than alive if what I predicted will not happen. It's an interesting reaction at best, right? He's mad at God that God's not going to kill a bunch of people. And we, they, the Assyrians were their enemies. But it's interesting how he wrestles with God as he's hearing God's call in his life. And look, the uh, rest of chapter 4, he has this, again, almost... In funny interaction with this plant that dies and withers that he's trying to sit under and, and uh, complain to God. And then it says in verse 10, then the Lord said, you feel sorry about the plant. In other words, you're more concerned about the plant than about the people. Though you did nothing to put it there. 
It came quickly and it died quickly. But Nineveh has more than 120,000 people living in spiritual darkness, not to mention all the great animals. Shouldn't I feel sorry for such a great city? It's a good story. It's a story about the heart of God. One of the things that we've done and we've tried to do week in, week out is show how these stories point towards Jesus, and this one unquestionably does. That Jesus is the greater Jonah. That God's call on Jonah's life was to go to the Gentiles, go to that group of people, and bring love and grace. And Jesus does that. Jesus does it perfectly. He comes down and he hangs with people that normally you wouldn't hang with. He sits with a woman who's not a Jew at a well and talks to her. He goes to the Ninevehs. He tells stories about Samaritans who are the heroes, and the Samaritans were not loved by Israel. Jesus is the greater Jonah. He shows us what God's story and how God's story is supposed to reach out to all people. And then he reminds us that that's our call as well. As the Father sent me, so send I you. So in other words, in the way that I came, in the way that I lived, who I was with, who I hung out with, who I ate with, how I lived, maybe even how I died, I invite you to go and do the very, very same thing. And at the heart of this story, and as we figure out that Jesus is the true epitome of what it means to reach out to the Ninevehs of the world, we have the same call in our lives. And then we have to wrestle with that question again of what does it look like to hear God? What does it look like for us in 2015 to actually be able to hear God? To, the, the, the reality is, I believe just like Jonah Today, God calls us to show his love, and we struggle to hear. We struggle to follow. Don't wrestle for a little bit with this idea of what does it look like when God calls us? How do we hear? If you're anything like me, when I think about that idea, what God calls us to do something, to show his love, that very idea to me seems almost foreign. When I think about God calling, I think about the big stories in the Bible. God called Abraham, right? He called Samuel, literally called Samuel. He called David to go kill. You could go story after story after story. Growing up in my mind, when I thought about God calling people, I thought about missionaries. You might have heard the story of Jim Elliott, who God called him to go down to Ecuador and actually give his life for the sake of the gospel. In my mind, that's God calling. It's, it's, it's big, it's grandiose, it's something that, that, that maybe I don't totally get. And that's why Jonah's story, I think, connects with us. Because I get Jonah's story. Maybe not going to Nineveh, the town of 120,000 people, to tell them that God's going to destroy them, but I get the struggle. I get the running away, not fully understanding it, the, the, the sense that, God, I don't know about this. I think I've told this story here before, but when I think of God calling, it's the one that reminds me that God speaks to us, that God still calls. A number of years ago, I was in Uptown up in the, the Twin Cities and we're having a meeting and, and I had about four bucks in my wallet, which is the exact amount that, it, that a caramel macchiato at Starbucks, Starbucks costs, which is just sad, saying that out loud, $4 for a caramel macchiato, and I think that's a small one. Um, 
But I had this interaction, right? I was walking to the Starbucks and um, walked by this homeless gal and, and, and just knew, had this sense, had this nudge, had this push from, from God that was unquestionably from God. It wasn't an audible voice. It was the sense that I knew what I should do. And it was the, the invitation just to go buy two small cups of coffee and give her one. And I knew it was from God. I, I knew there, there was this invitation, this call to do something. And I think when we talk about the idea that God calls and hearing God, it's much more like that. I believe with all my heart, if you are a father, in fact, I would say even if you don't believe in God, God's still calling you. God's calling you to turn from your shame and your sin and put your faith and trust fully in him. If you are a follower of Jesus, I believe day in, day out, God wants to speak to you. God wants to invite, God wants to call you into places. There's a great quote in uh, Oswald Chambers, his book, My Utmost for the Highest, which has been made into a devotional as well. It's fabulous. He says this. He goes, God did not direct his call to Isaiah. Isaiah overheard God saying, who will go for us? And then here's where it gets really good. The call of God is not just for a select few, but for everyone. Whether I hear God's call or not depends on the condition of my ears and exactly what I hear depends on my spiritual attitude. I think hearing God is about a practical conversation. I I think we make it too complex and it's just some practical questions that we can wrestle with so that day in, day out, we can be so in tune to the voice of God, to the leading of God, to the nudging of God. Sometimes it's the shouting of God. But I think it's practical disciplines, practical practices. I think it starts with a question. Here's the question. What is God calling you to? Who is God calling you towards? And to wrestle with that question, we have to dig a layer deeper and simply say, am I creating space at all in my life to hear from God, to invite God's voice into my life? Because we are busy, we're comfortable, we have a ton going on. And I think it's a discipline of stopping and saying, God, I want to hear your voice. Oftentimes in the church, we, we call it the quiet time, Right? The idea that that you would wake up in the morning and spend time with God. And if you're new to the church deal, that probably sounds foreign to you. But the idea is that we would start our day by listening to God, by talking to God. I grew up, and most every morning, I could come up to the uh, kitchen, and my dad would be sitting there, and he would have right in front of him his bowl of grape nuts. Does anybody still eat grape nuts? A couple people, excellent. The loudest chewing cereal (laughs) on the face of the planet. But he was sitting there with his grape nuts and then his daily bread. And the discipline, and I saw the discipline of starting your day by communing with God. And it it doesn't have to look any certain way, but it's just the idea that you and I, we would start our day by saying, God, I want to hear from you. If you've never tried it before, a good practice, a good starting point might be turning off the radio on your way to work and just saying, God, I want to hear from you today. I want to follow you. I want to know your love. Start with something simple and then go from there. But I I believe if we are going to move towards the places, the people, whatever it might be that God is calling us towards, we have to develop a discipline of stopping and hearing from God. I think it starts there. Then here's where it gets challenging. 
Because I think if we, we, we take this story for what it is, and I think it has some beautiful learnings for us about hearing from God, I think often if we are truly going to hear from God, just like Jonah, God will call us towards the Ninevehs of our worlds. God will call us to that other, to that place that maybe we don't want to go. And a couple cool experiences over the last couple months of places where I've seen people in our church doing that, I think in some profoundly beautiful ways. I met with a couple of ladies this week who work with a uh, ministry that's part of our church, part of our denomination called AVA. And it's about helping people who are victims of domestic uh, violence, domestic abuse. And it hit me that that's one of those places that God has called them to, that they're following God, but it's not easy, right? It's uncomfortable. It's hard to see grace and redemption and reconciliation and God's love going into that place. I also have had really cool experience via conversation and, and just sort of watching um, three different people in our church who are entering into the place of racial reconciliation. What is that whole deal and what does it look like? Because that's about the other. Um, there, there, there are probably others in our church that do it, but I, I went to a class when one of the, the people in our church teaches uh, refugees in our city how to read and just sort of some basic learning things. And it blew me away because she's teaching the other, the person that we look at and maybe I don't totally get. There's a guy named Reggie who, um, African American, as he shared his story with me, it just made me think that our idea of racial recon reconciliation and relationship, I, I don't get because I've not been there. And it's not an easy place to go to. There's a young gal named Leah who works at the Minnesota Council of Churches and she works with the refugees as well. And it, it blows me away that these people are following God's call and God's leading to places of redemption and hope that aren't easy. It's uncomfortable. It's, it's the other person that I don't totally get. So beware. If you're going to really listen to God, God might call you into some places that are uncomfortable. And it, and it might be just walking into the lunchroom and sitting with a person who's sitting all alone. It might be that simple, right? That might be what God invites you into. It might be big. Might be an issue like racial reconciliation. It might be getting more involved in, in places like where our church is in the Congo. But I believe that if we are going to create space to listen to God, and if we really listen to God and we move into some of those uncomfortable places, here's the thing that's going to happen you are going to begin to live this expectant God speaks, God works, God does something through us type of life. And beware, because it's fun. Amen? At the end of the day, hearing the voice of God and following God in those places and bringing grace and love and redemption, whether it's to an individual or maybe it's something that we do as a church, when we enter into those spaces and we see grace happen, it's good. It's a good place to be. But it all starts with listening to God. Hearing God call you into whatever place, into whatever relationship God is calling you into. Let me pray. God, again, this is a recurring story that we're hearing in this journey through your word. 
this reminder that there's a living God. And just as you spoke creation into existence, you still want to speak to us. Maybe it is an audible voice. God, but I think for the most of us, it's the nudge, it's the push, it's the invitation. It's hearing a message, it's, it's hearing a friend talk about something, it's seeing somebody in pain, it's digging into our story maybe a little more and finding our places of pain. And then we listen and you call. And you call us to be you to those around us. So God, give us the ability to hear. I pray this in your name. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.